0: Hello everybody and welcome back to New Books in Irish Studies, a podcast, ch- podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Meg Smith, the host of the channel, and today we'll be talking to Liam O'Hashabale and Kay Muir about their new book, The Oxford Dictionary of Family Names of Ireland. Liam and Kay, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you. Hi Meg, thank you.
0: So I'd love to hear a bit about you both before we kind of dig into the book. Uh, Liam, perhaps we could start with you. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, sure thing, uh, I'm from uh, Connemara, uh, North West Connemara in County Galway in Ireland uh, and uh, I went to university in the West of Ireland as well in the National University of Ireland, Galway um, and that's where I first kind of came into my uh, interest in name studies was through uh, a module on the undergrad program about place names and it was actually through place names and then being interested in maybe names or personal names and place names that I kind of got into this this field um, and that wasn't an awful long time ago but it feels like it now uh, but uh, that was that was my background was just kind of through happenstance and just developing an interest in the, in the subject and going from there so.
0: That's fabulous I love when that happens
1: that you yeah, know
0: <laughs> faculty or, or mentors can sort of spark an early interest that takes off
1: it, it, it was very strange it was just one project about like mountain names in my home area and it just completely had me hooked because I was interested in the manuals and their background and that kind of set me on the on the path that I'm still on now so
0: fabulous thank
2: you Kay. how about you I think it goes further back than that. As you can hear, I was brought up in England mainly, but I'm already a mongrel because of the Swedish side of the family. Um, My mother was a Scot um, by conception, so her father told her, but born in New Zealand. And we went out to New Zealand for two years after my father died, and I was amazed at how different the place names looked, even there, and, you know, what was this? And the family were quite bookish, and they had books about Maori and Maori culture, so I got really interested in that. Then we came back to the same house in England, and Somehow, I found out—I think probably through school—that there were actually other languages in the island I lived in, which it completely blew my mind. You know, I thought everybody spoke <laughs> spoke English. So I went to Edinburgh and I did a degree in Celtic studies. And of course, I mean, Irish and Scottish Gaelic are closely related. So it started from there, really. The interest in the languages started from there, and and the place names had partly brought it about as we find quite often here or i do in ulster anyway they're probably they're more accepting of irish <laughs> south of the border of this strange corner of the island sometimes here they resist it <laughs> uh, i actually speaking in dublin but uh yes i'm thinking, I'm thinking <laughs> well,
0: fast. well thank you i love i love too that this is a an opportunity to challenge the familiar right to sort of bring our academic world back into our sort of own communities and think about how they inform one another. And that's one of my favorite things about place names and family names and thinking about the connections and the histories there. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about the origins of the book. So you've spoken about how you came to place names and to family names. How did you come to this specific project.
2: Now, should I start, Liam? I pre- I pre- you, you
1: start and I'll <laughs> fill in the landscape. <laughs> I'm
2: a older, I think I've been at it for longer. But um, after coming to live in Northern Ireland, having been a student in Dublin and so on, I, I, and having just about finished my Celtic PhD, I eventually got a job. Editing what they call the Ordnance Survey memoirs, which are local history records from the early 19th century, and then wonderfully they got money to do a job on place names in Northern Ireland, so got involved in that and to- then gradually realised that a lot of family names are in the place names. So I started to record those. Then you see there's an association of name studies for Britain and Ireland, and somebody there well known to both of us, Dr. Patrick Hanks, ebullient and bossy, said, Will be the Gaelic names editor for this project of mine to do the dictionary of American family names. So I was warned off it by another friend, more expert than me, but of course I, I gave it a go. Um, I didn't know very much then, but that's how it began, and then Patrick gradually would send other requests, yeah. he got more money to do something on the family names in Britain initially, then it got expanded because they realised they had to, there were so many Irish names in Britain, to being Britain and Ireland, and that's how I got into it. But. Um, gradually uh, I started to slip behind in the work he was expecting me to do because my mother was in her 90s by this stage and she needed quite a lot of travelling over to England to see her. So, um, so then they said, well, we need somebody else as well. And Liam was an obvious choice. So, so we worked together on that book, which was published in 2016. And this is a spin-off But I think to go back to Patrick, things have to be a group project for something this big. Uh, You just couldn't do it. And for the American one, obviously, Patrick had had organised people from all the different um, languages that have gone to to America or to the Americas. Um, For the Irish one, because we were restricted to the 1911 census, which was the only sensible baseline because it covers the whole of the island um, and you can get the figures, um, we, we... We rather chickened out of doing international languages, didn't we, Liam? We we had to deal with English, English, Welsh, Irish and Scottish, Gaelic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It, it's in that that's very much it, kind of, it was more of a historical snapshot of like obviously most of those names are still in existence today, too, but it doesn't account for more recent uh names from people who've migrated uh, to Ireland in the past hundred years, we'll say. But um, certainly that was a, a big thing, maybe, to stress like Patrick Hanks is the kind of the force who was able to to push us to write a proposal to OUP to, to do a spin-off project. And we initially thought it would be something that would take very little time, but uh, a few years later it, it still hadn't progressed an awful lot uh in, in the database. we were kind of slogging away at different times, you know, on, on on the work. But it was more I suppose to follow on from what Kay said, um, I mean I met Kay first at a at that Society Names Studies in Britain and Ireland, I think, conferences. And that's how we got to know one another. And I never thought I'd end up working directly in surnames. I knew, as Kay said, you see the names and place names and, you know, they're they're a minor feature maybe um, uh, at at times. But just the interest kind of grew the more I spent time with it and working on just helping augment the database with Kay uh, for that 2016 project was really what got us maybe to know each other a bit better uh, and uh, gave us a bit of... um, I suppose, uh, courage to consider doing something uh, uh, for an an Irish audience or for an island of Ireland audience based on how the names are in this on this island rather than how they ended up in Britain, for example, or how they ended up in another country. So that's that's kind of uh, where we where we got our our drive and our interest from, I think,
2: But supported all the time by this wonderful database in Bruno that uh, Adam Rambussing designed for all the material. So, you know, we, we have been editors more than compilers. The compiling mm. was done sometimes rather badly, we felt, but uh, <laughs> with knowledge. But, um, but basically, we were presented with a text, which we then had to mm. edit, getting all the linguistic stuff right, mm. and also finding the early bearers in a range of sources, which hadn't been done for Ireland before. I mean, yeah. I think some of the, the scholars who'd worked on Irish surnames must have done it themselves, but they hadn't published that material. And it now we hope gives people a much better idea of what their name was spelt like or where it was, you know, at, a, at an earlier period, and, mm. and what what it means, which they rather like to know. <laughs> And one of the things I was talking about, the ways that the names were anglicised, one of the most amusing is the way that quite late on, they were sometimes anglicised by sort of folk translation, not usually very accurate, which is how you get the rabbits and the birds and the fox. Well, the foxes, the foxes are perhaps more genuine than most, but a lot of these rather strange Irish names, very Irish, but of course English words now.
0: I, I love that you frame this as a spin off because this is such a vast project and you've done so much work in not just contextualizing, but also in sort of collating all of these different sources and evaluating and, and sort of working backwards from a very messy source base. So maybe mm. we could talk a little bit about what the research process looks like for such an enormous and wide ranging volume. Where do you start with something this big? Uh, <laughs> so where
1: yeah. Uh, I think maybe from from my perspective, the, the, the biggest thing to sort out was the headword list. I mean, there's obviously the technical aspect, which we were lucky enough to inherit a really good database manager who could manage... The, that kind of side of things, and just once we learned how to not break it, we were able to go and uh, and, and edit to our heart's content. And uh, we have to thank Adam and you know for for all his his great work, um, on keeping the show on the road from the from the database side of things. Uh, but for us, it was very much like where do you start, um. You know, the big question initially was, do you do you write a dictionary of anglicised forms or of the Irish language, original forms, and what do you lose by doing one or the other? And so uh, that question kind of answered itself once we were given access to the 1911 uh, census data, because they are mostly, the majority of those names are in their anglicised forms, right? not a insignificant number of people returned their census entries in irish but of course at the time that wouldn't have exactly been the norm uh in in ireland pre-independence and and so we kind of had to start with that baseline of names that existed it was the only source we could access that was all ireland that covered all the people who were featuring the census return at least and although there are problems with that data from the point of view of mistranscriptions and also just errors in the data, or missing pages, or mis- missing townlands, and things like that, and um, it is the more complete source of than anyone has ever been able to access on the island of Ireland. You're talking about, you know, voter registration lists and telephone directories, and I mean, trying to use a telephone directory now to generate a certain database you need a lot of statistical analysis to see the significance of one name you know when everyone just has mobile phones and doesn't use landlines anymore mostly so uh, it was as easy thing we could find that was that was gave us this all island picture i suppose and um, and there was once we tidied up the the, the, the list as best we could uh, we had good help from Stephen Archer the guy who worked on our distribution maps uh, um which are on the online version uh, on that process uh, and we have about 20 or 24,000, 23,000 names in total in Ireland in 1911 uh, and so then that was the starting point and then the big question was how many can you fit uh, in the book and how many can you edit and work on so uh, I think Kay was at 80, we, we agreed to look at all names that had 80 bearers initially. We did.
2: Uh, yes we did and then we discovered didn't we that it would take <laughs> three years to finish
1: yeah so 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 we we, we shifted to to a hundred bearers as a kind of arbitrary enough uh, but it made a big difference for time and to be honest like if you think of how many hundred bears you know is that maybe 10 to 15 families, maybe a bit more if you think of the average uh, household size and things like that. It, like it's a fairly granular picture already, you know, with mm-hmm. just 100 bears of a name. But if we were to drill down even further, I suppose the names get odder and odder as well. And <laughs> it would take a lot more time uh, to look at. So it's something we'll have to, we'll come back to in a while maybe, but to think about, you know, future um, uh, studies in, in the area. But this would really give, I suppose, most people in Ireland would probably find if not their own name, a name of one of their parents or both their parents or cousin, you know, they, they will have something there because it's because the names that are, um, are attested in 1911 largely survive uh, to today. So um that, that was where we came about. So starting out with that as our headword list, once we had that, then we kind of fill in the blank. So we kind of have to look, I suppose, Kay, if you want to come in here about, we, we look at the the publications thus far about the name and what other scholars have said um, and we try and synthesize that revise it improve it and that was the process really was to start you know not a to a to z but a to y i think we get in the dictionary um, yeah. and and uh, to go from there basically so you're building up on what people have said already and we're kind of hoping or oh, hope to at least i think we did add a lot of value to what previous scholars have offered on certain surnames
2: I think what we added as well was all those English names. This is partly what slowed us down, that we were trying to give the early bearers of each name. And a lot of names had come in from Britain in small, well, small enough numbers, large enough to feature, but not to be important names over there. So suddenly you were searching through the records for these incomers, 17th century and later mostly, but some of them had come in in Norman times. So there were um, anybody who'd come in really Norman times tended to be looked at by one of the previous scholars, but a lot of those English names nobody had looked at before at all.
1: Mm. And and we were were able to find earlier, you know, (laughs)
2: work we thought we were doing but it turned out in the end didn't it with your statistics that it was about half the names were of Irish language origin origin, but then quite a lot of the incoming names had been adopted as being similar to the Irish names in some way phonetically or meaning and so in fact probably more of the names in Ireland are originally Irish than, than from elsewhere.
1: Kind of disguised, I suppose, under under the English name, um, for many centuries now. Some of them, I think so, um. But no, that that was kind of the process. Once, like we fill in the early bears for, for those who haven't seen the dictionary. The early bears are basically a list of random individuals from the historic record, uh, from the medieval period onwards. Uh, we're not saying they're the earliest people who are recorded, but we're certainly saying we've chosen them as representative of that name at that particular time, um. And we were kind of conscious enough as well in that process to record, if we could, their role, their occupation, their post, if the source gave it, uh, their location, so where they were in Ireland at that date and time, uh, and also I suppose, women's names as well, which are often left out of any discussion on the record. If we found a nice bearer who showed maybe the Irish, yes. the Anglicised Irish form, we did our best to include that too. Um, because they do, I mean, it does demonstrate how the 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 system worked, the name system worked for men and women in Ireland uh, in the medieval period. So uh, it was that kind of added value that we could give, whereas another publication would just give you the meaning and then you're left to to go with that we're trying to give you the development of the as form that most people uh, have today um unless they're Irish speakers or use their Irish language form, which is obviously increased since uh, since the turn of the century. Uh, but certainly the majority of the population would identify themselves under the anglicised form of their Irish name. So uh, we're just trying to not restore that for them, but just to show them how it came about and to track that progress through the random spellings of of, of variants uh, over time. So that's, that's, I think, a big bonus for our project um, was that we could offer that because now, the technology can uh can provide for that with digitized sources that possibly you know people writing up 50 years ago uh, wouldn't have had the wherewithal to present in any kind of coherent form so uh, I we think, were yeah we
2: so many sources digitized won't we i mean that sped things up but sometimes going through the early bearers you could see family names recurring and i reckon that was interesting to present for people because there are so many trying to trace their family history now quite fun to see if you had an ancestor or ancestress with a with an interesting name that you could reuse yeah
0: so one i as a medievalist one of the things i love about this project is that you can sort of see the trajectories of these families from the middle ages forward which often i think gets lost when we're sort of honed in on those early centuries and to think about you know the not even the afterlives, but the sort of future lives of our medieval actors. So I love the early bearer section. Oh, Um, good. (laughs) I I very much appreciate all the labor that went into it, which I'm sure was immense.
1: You might be in the minority there of the fan club of the early bearer section, but uh, we do think it is possible that, you know, just the, the key, the key, point of, of it is we, we are giving you the evidence, we are giving you a reference to a page number that you can go and look at this yourself, you can see who was pardoned along with a perhaps distant ancestor, you know, for a crime uh, or for something at a, at a given date and time. So it's it, it is a very valuable kind of um, point of interest, I suppose, for, for people interested in that. And, and as you rightly say, the fact that these names survive, albeit in a much altered form today, it, it does give people that link to a place to an occupation, perhaps a hereditary occupation, maybe in the period uh, and it, it is nice to maybe get that snapshot of your 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 ancestry uh, be them directly related or indirectly or however you can join the dots <laughs> between now and then but
2: i've had comments from 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 northern ireland by people who thought i think since it says irish on the cover that they wouldn't be in it that they have mm. been very interested to find their their um you know their settler forebears in it as well so that that mm. that's that has been a bonus. I think there's still, it's, it's been selling better in the South than the North, probably. I think Liam has worked hard at getting it well
0: <laughs> So I'd like to maybe step back to something that you said earlier about working with the anglicized names and what's mm. gained and what's lost. And I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit about the pros and the cons of working with those anglicized names.
1: Yeah. Um... I suppose maybe the nationalists uh, within everyone <laughs> would, would would be inclined to promote maybe a, a dictionary with the Irish forms. And for a lot of people, that would be quite normal because they are Irish names. You know, the majority of the, of the, of the names in the, in the dictionary do are originate in the Irish language. Um, so we should, you know, maybe give... A nod to that uh, by by how we arranged the dictionary but as we realised unfortunately most people who were probably using the dictionary wouldn't be entirely sure of their Irish name um, and would certainly be registered from birth under the English form of their name so it just made more sense to, to make that decision but by doing so we kind of give prominence maybe to uh, the anglicised forms and uh, which a lot of people would disagree with, who were very much, you know, pro the Irish language form and the restoration of those forms of the use of those forms of the state today, um, to kind of normalize the use of a of an Irish language form of your surname as opposed to using the English as one that you've inherited because of the the circumstances of history and uh, and all the other things that came with that. Uh, so that was one one aspect was to you know make a conscious decision of what people would use versus what maybe we ideally like. People to use uh, if they were so interested, uh, but also by using uh, the anglicised forms, we could allow for these English names, the Scots names, uh, the Anglo-Norman names, which you know some of which in the earlier period were certainly uh but in later times uh, it's mostly they're in in this kind of stable enough um, uh, English form. Uh, so we could basically get an A to A to A to Z structure out of that. Um, without losing those names or having them in a separate section or, you know, to try and divide up a dictionary based on uh, on linguistic origins. You know, we give a little indicator of what the linguistic origins of each name is and we'll obviously state if it's Irish, if it's Norman French, if it's English, if it's Scots, but by dividing up the the, the, the piece of work based on, you know, ethnic or linguistic grounds is, is probably problematic, I think, as well. So um, especially as I think Kay found out the level of adoption was, was quite significant of, of, of taking on an English name for various uh, reasons, uh, either through translation or, you know, because you weren't allowed to use your Irish name, you then adopted a, an English name. Or maybe would the right phrase be social mobility, uh, K okay, uh, to, you know, to to, to do well and to, to further yourself in under the conditions of the time to, 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 to use a different name. So they're the kind of things we have to think about, I suppose, and, and how names... You know, became anglicized so uh, i think someone has commented already on the dictionary that it does give you a view of this kind of the population um mm-hmm. the interactions between populations and languages in ireland is, is a key part of the introduction and we do want to make that clear that the anglicized forms are a result of this interaction between languages and they're as a result of this contact between cultures and be it in a power dynamic or otherwise this is what we've ended up with in the majority of names today so we want to kind of acknowledge that but give uh, readers a chance to see the the original form and its development and how it shifted to what it is today. So is that a fair... Summary, KF.
2: <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. I mean, what, what seems to have happened that, I mean, there's been a, a, an interpretation for a long time, and certainly there was hostility to Irish language names. It was realised what pride people took in them, and that made them stroppy, and that wasn't liked by the administration. But on the other hand, it would seem that very often the O, which had disappeared so largely, um, mm. Had been dropped simply because it was pre pre the stress, and not really heard or not treated as important. Mm. So to, it, it wasn't necessarily prejudice or even social mobility. Mm. It was just oh well, that's the way they anglicise it, and so I, I'll call myself, you know, a something, which it probably was rather than a long O in Irish, and I I won't bother in English. I, mm. Something else came through my head. Now, what on earth was that? Uh, I think I've lost it again. Um, Yes, The other thing that's very interesting about the names is that they were anglicised at different times and in different places, Mm -hmm. probably by different people, different officials or whatever. But you do quite often, in the anglicised form of the name, get a record of the way it would have been pronounced in earlier Irish. So the name like, that would end up as McCarville, say um, that—that's what would have been Carol, I think. Now you mm. wouldn't have the V in it. And Devlin, yeah. um, Devlin and Dolan, are, Devlin and Dolan are a headache of mine. They must come from the same personal name, but in Tyrone they're still Devlin with the V in, and in Fermanagh, I don't think. I mean, the the relationship is too far back to find if it exists. Mm. But at Dolan and further south, I think Dolan is usually the English form. And what is Quin sure. Quinlivan and Quinlan, both they and
1: Quinlan, they, yeah.
2: They they are the same name, but Quinlivan were obviously anglicized when the when the ver was still
1: pronounced and the other one not. So they they do, I suppose, provide this snapshot of you know, and then get fixed in some form or another. You I know, mean, similar to place names, I suppose the same thing happens um, in in the written record. But that they're, you know, so distant today. If you think of uh, is it Harrigan, which is Hurigan and Hurricane and all these other extended forms, and um, you can get obviously this parallel development, and people today wouldn't assume any relationship between the names, and um, even the difference of an L. Uh, or, uh, you know, or, or a Y or an IE at the end of a name or something would be seen as being a different branch. But technically, it could all be from uh, the same family. But just through the the nuances of how that name became fixed, uh, ended up uh, with a, a kind of perceived difference between, between the same surname.
2: We certainly have stories, don't we, of people getting anglicised differently by different parish priests and different schoolmasters. So people in mm. the same, family ended up yeah. with a slightly different version of their surname. Yeah. And I think this is why I was warned off surnames or family <laughs> names to begin with. The blasted yeah. people move around, and other people yeah. interpret their name, at least a place name stays reasonably put, so, mm.
1: that,
2: so it's the local pronunciation that's the relevant one.
0: It is fascinating how these moments of fixity are so connected, both to these sort of large structural themes of Irish history, but also, as you say, to extremely local contingencies. And mm. kind of disentangling those, like sort of macro and me- micro level uh, forces, seems very complicated. Uh, so, what mm. kind of sources did you work with to come up with these uh, with these sort of narratives of? of family history and of surnames?
2: Well, it doesn't go much back into the first millennium because there the weren't surnames before that. But the Irish annals, um, particularly the annals of Ulster, but the Four Masters and Tiernach and so on were we used. But only it will be big, important families that get into things yeah. like that. Um, Then I think probably I jump, but Liam can fill in to the plantation sources, especially the Elizabethan Fiance, where so many people were getting into trouble all the time for various misdeeds. Their name was written down in usually in an anglicised form, sometimes more anglicised than others, what they'd done and where they were and what their occupation was. That, it's an absolutely massive source, and probably very close to the first Anglicization of some of the some of the names. Mm. And then the other plantation documents are also very useful. I mean, they're trying to trying to rule the um, Irish was obviously not easy, and a lot of people had to get recorded. Then the source that we found really interesting was. Mm. Um, a very useful one was the list of flax growers, but I suspect that slightly improved or, you know, mm. the, the names, a variant names might be sort of mudged together in a particular one. But the mm. Tithe books were terrific. Now, this is early 19th century, but yeah. they seem to be writing down the local form of a name. So
1: yeah, de- 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 really,
2: de- quite a lot still using their own. If you,
1: that, that, that last source to the plop in books I mean it's available online now for so people to consult but you will, you will get um very local variant forms of names uh, particular to a parish you know and you if you trace it back you might be able to link it with Griffiths a little bit later if you're lucky enough to have a a flax scroll before it you can see changes even in in translations within the family that they've adopted a new English surname for example over the course of of a hundred years and in the record and so looking at particular families in in Mayo you just get this you know very granular view and 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 the, the sources, although they may be different purposes, they are really about about land and land ownership. A lot of what we we're looking at when you get the fee and so it's a little bit different. Uh, and prior to that, it's the justiciary roles and the calendar of documents related to Ireland, which are, you know, justiciary roles will include Irish people and very nice early Anglicized forms. And the, the calendar documents related to Ireland is mostly Anglo Normans and English people in Ireland. So if you get, you get different values, I suppose, from each source. So we kind of would try to at least give it a picture. From if we don't appear in the annals, if you're not a, a wig, if your name isn't famous, um, the, the the book of the bold people uh, that have to be in the in the in the in the 16th century is quite useful for that level of granularity. And if you can marry that within the later sources from the 18th and 19th centuries, you do get this very nice uh, picture of how forms might be peculiar to one area and how they develop within that area. So. Um, it was really assembling big lists of of early bearers and I, i'll have to say not all of the early lists made it to print as in they were cut down significantly uh, in the case where we had just too many bearers added out of you know and we tried to just leave the ones there that show something interesting or that someone could actually Say something about uh once they see them um but the sources really did inform our approach and we definitely didn't i suppose Kay, you'd agree with this we we didn't cover everything we're very clear at the start of the dictionary that we say these are the sources we used and mm-hmm. and this is why they're their name rich sources there are plenty of of irish language you know bardic poems that might have names or forms of them you know there's there's lots of other material uh, that we could access if it was accessible and searchable and digitized and everything else we could of course add to the forms that we had uh, but we really had to pick sources for the scale of the project i suppose um that would give us a good return a good a good few names for every search basically is what we wanted so um i think that's what we managed to do in most cases okay
2: We've said to people, this gives you a grounding. If you're trying to do family history rather than language research, you, you've got something to go on here. Mm. You, can, you can follow it
0: back. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned that I, I'm very interested in the dictionary for my own academic research. Um, but of course, there are lots of different audiences who might have a stake in this work. Who did you sort of imagine as your audience or audiences as you were working on it? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I well, partially was just nosiness on my own part <laughs> to see I'd be interested in reading something like this myself. But uh, I think because we're in the in the kind of Oxford reference series, like it is a general reference book you know it's meant to be accessible to anyone who picks it up it's not meant to be you know you need a certain qualification for whatever we you know we offer a glossary of technical terms that's all part of it so it is something that anyone can pick up and hopefully you know get something out of and um, the audience we're aiming for because of the scale of it I suppose it's, it's quite a big uh, publication it's it's not cheap and um, and so we were hoping that it would more so be a, a library resource uh, and if you know very interested you know genealogists and family history historians might be interested in getting a copy but even a, a family history society uh, or a library is really what we were aiming for that either the searchable database which is online or the published book will be on the shelf someone can come in you can look up your your in-laws the outlaws everyone else that you can you can find uh, and some people as, as we imagine Kay and I've been told some people will only look at their own family names and um, other people will sit at it for quite some time and pour through and think of other names they know and wonder what they mean so I mean because obviously can't escape names um uh, in our own lives it is something that interests a lot of people that they have even a latent interest in uh even if it's on the trivial kind of sense of oh i just wonder what that means you know that's valuable to us and that someone is is showing an interest in 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 the background to their name and so that's a big a big part of it but obviously the people who are going to get the most out of it are people who will be you know drilling into those early bear forms who will be looking at their ancestry and working out you know very informed of their surnames and trying to link and join those dots together. So uh, I think that was a, a big audience for us. So hopefully libraries will will have the book and, and provide that as, as a resource to, to users. You
2: know, it's it's a funny mixture, isn't it? Because it's mm. something that your own name and in every family has usually quite a lot of surnames have come into it that that's of interest to most people and yet this is a sort of huge volume that nobody can afford unless they're very enthusiastic so it's a funny mixture like that but I Mm. did get a, a, a very good local historian and also sheep farmer interested enough to buy the book and I handed it over just a week or so ago and he wrote me the most wonderful letter about it he'd really enjoyed it and he started to tell me Things which I think we should follow sometime, somebody should follow more of how, in an area, if you have a lot of people of the same surname, local nicknames develop. You know, so there are another. I mean, a surname is simply an extra name to identify somebody in origin, a bit of genealogy in the in the Irish case. But these um, these nicknames are very important in many local areas. This is how you find somebody when everybody is called. Um, Murray or um or Oga- O'Gallagher or whatever that this is how you'll get the particular one. So I I have to follow him up on that, don't I Liam? I said this on to yep. <laughs> he, he sort of understood the fun of it straight away. He's quite a um hmm. a very likable man, but a very sort of upright citizen. And sometimes I think he he thinks that I do wacky things, you know, and people who are doing you know, sort of 19th century history are much more, um, you know, mm-hmm. much
0: more <laughs> mm. But this is the great fun of it, right? That despite mm-hmm. all of the, the, not even despite, but thanks to all of the sort of deep research that goes into it as an academic work, it's able to really make the historical quite personal and quite tangible and really give people so- a connection to not mm-hmm. just a past, but also uh, you know how that past manifests in the present and in, uh, in very visible ways. So I think that's a great service. Uh,
1: and I, I think it's it's worth explaining as well as in sort of like each entry will will give you your see so your distribution in the 19th century from Griffiths your distribution of the you know the top six counties in Ireland in 1911. Uh, it'll give you the numbers for that, uh, the meaning, um, any kind of variant spellings or linked forms, uh, and then if it's kind of adopted for another name, we'll mention that as well. Uh, if there's the obviously early bearer list that we've gone on about a bit, uh, and then further reference and information. Now we're I'm not saying it's the last story by any means in any of these names and as day has said and others have said each name probably deserves its own you know individual study of you know the similar scope and what we have done uh to, to to a greater level on each name but it should be like a, a starting point that it's reliable that it's drawing on what's there before and um, uh, and adding give the added value to it that we that we we've, we've brought and and that would be, be ideally what to different user groups will get from it as a starting point, really, and a, and a place they can go just to get a, a quick answer as well, if that's all they want. So,
0: yes, anything that generates more scholarship would, would certainly be uh, also a great service. Um, mm. I wonder if there's any... <laughs> So this is kind of an unfair question because, of course, there are so many entries to choose from. Is there any one entry that sticks out to you in, in your memory as particularly interesting or one that you think sort of encapsulates the project? Hmm.
1: <laughs> do, do, do you that. want to go first, Kate? Hey, I, I have one, anyway, so hopefully you won't take it.
2: Because I've mentioned a couple.
1: Well, there's one uh, that does bring. To mind that I I used to see uh, around the place on on a van driving past, and I always wondered oh, what what is that. <laughs> and um, uh, eventually, through going down the road and looking, there's a, there's a surname O O, Fourgish, o or O Hourish, which means I think cold choice or is a cold vigor or something like that. Uh, as a personal name, it it develops into a surname, and um, but it becomes kind of misinterpreted or partially translated as Furovška, meaning. Cold water, mm. um, that comes in sometimes translated as cold well or something like that for cold well or cold water something like that, um, and Oforishka through uh, initial kind of lenition um, uh, on one of the uh, on the f Ohorishka uh, becomes Horisky eventually when it gets anglicized, uh, and so through the the start of Oforish and Ohorish meaning cold choice. Uh, it becomes oh furishka to and sometimes translation as Caldwell and this van that used to drive around was a van for a refrigeration company so it was like the name of cold water had you know from a misinterpretation some time ago had ended up and conveniently enough this 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 family decided to to work with with fridges and and so that for me was a lovely way of looking at how the names can become either through mistranslation through translation uh, and through anglicization that they can end up in some form and then you have a nice semantic link by a van that passes you on the street today to the original, maybe misinterpreted uh, origin of the name. So uh, uh, that's one that I particularly like as, as an example of 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 what can happen and uh, where names can end up. I suppose
0: that's fascinating. Yeah,
2: it's, it's a good deal, right? <laughs> so,
1: okay, have you have you <laughs> another one?
2: I've gone. I've gone quiet. They keep go, going through my head, and then I. Then I can't.
1: Then is there
2: I can't. and, and... <laughs> Yes. Yes, there's the one that ends up as hand. Mo- most mm. often hand in, in the north of Ireland, but it is actually the word meaning, meaning a prince, um, a flahev or lahav, uh, sometimes laffy and things like that. But hand is the most usual because it sounded a bit like lava a hand um, at some stage, you see, but it's nothing to do with it. And then, then, then the rabbit name, which sometimes comes from Mac Conini, which is son of the hound of the assembly. And to be called a hound of the assembly was a very honorific personal name at one stage. Uh, hounds were admired and appearing at the assembly was admired. And then this is the, one of the names, at any rate, that gets anglicised as rabbit, which, um, because, because Con, Conini sounds rather like conine
0: a rabbit. Mm. rather a step down in dignity unfortunately
2: (laughs) (laughs) step down yes Mm. and a history one in northern ireland which is i don't think you get it do you get it liam um which is rice which is from a wealth personal name but for some reason it gets used to um, replace omel crever which is um Of, of the of the mighty tree or something like that, the personal name means. So, where mm. rice comes from is, a, I think that's the only one that's a complete mystery. Most of them mm. you can see at some point in the development of both languages the stepping point at which it was thought that this must be the equivalent of this, or this sounded like this. You know, either by meaning or sound, But uh, <laughs> this sort of thing happens.
1: And that's, I suppose, in the intro we we give a fairly detailed description of the different ways in which that happens or can be traced, with some examples that are in the dictionary, so you can follow them up and look at the forms and things like that. Uh, but it is, I suppose, uh, the the question is how you know certain names ended up associated, which when they look completely unrelated. So part of that is the research that we've done, but also looking at the modern distribution maps as well, which sometimes are a very clear indicator that there are separate pocket or a separate branch of of you know of a name that may be entirely unrelated now probably dna studies would would solve all this a lot quicker but where's the where's the fun in that <laughs> um, oh, than, than following all of these uh, these historic forms and trying to trying to work out who's related to who so because
2: i think foley comes from two names doesn't it it's mm. even O'Foley, O'Fola, um, O'Fola, yeah,
1: and yes. Maksari, or,
2: is it or it's from MacSherry, son, son of a fool, you see? Which, which one is translation and one is one is phonetic.
0: I love this project because I, what I'm hearing is weaving together all of these rich source bases, which really challenges this idea, right, that we have this enormous dearth of sources for medieval and early modern Ireland, and of course, there's been so much loss of primary sources, but this really highlights how much we can do when we bring together what survives and, you know, bring in these surrogates and sort of supplement fragmentary source bases with each other and create this really rich history and this really rich narrative. So I'm very excited to dig in further to this dictionary because I I see all kinds of of directions to take it. so. That, that, I'm very pleased you <laughs> think
2: that. I think it does. It links to all sorts of things, ordinary things and some quite um, difficult academic things.
0: So I know that we're coming up on the end of our time here, uh, but before I let you go, I'd love to hear about what you're working on now. Mm. <laughs>
1: But who's Who, going to go first? Who's going to go first? I, well, I jump first because mine is much shorter than yours. It's okay. <laughs> oh
2: <yes>, i <it> is.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm not leaving surnames behind me. I'm I'm working on uh, uh, currently a list of uh, similar to what we were speaking about earlier. A list of of over 140. Uh, anglicised names from the 18th century um, that is preserved in a a manuscript from that period so it's like a little gazetteer that's offered um, uh, of the name so I'm going to just look at how they were approximated with this English form and then what the influences might be uh, on those forms in the background to that decision to to go with one form over another uh, as, as an adopted English form for a large name so that's one thing I'm working on at the moment but nothing in a larger scale yet Um, myself and Kay will see if we've energy again to look at the, the 80 to 100 bears uh, in, in the database or the ones below 80 which are in the thousands <laughs> um uh, to see if we could uh, get some money together to do another another project on the on the lesser common names i
2: suppose yeah so rather hoping that you possibly possibly could get a team together to to continue that um i got very interested in oh and mac in scotland because they received wisdom which is generally true is that all the scottish gallic names are mac names which are generally later than the ones from O meaning um, grandson but in fact there is a fair bit of evidence for O in Scotland it's just that it doesn't reach the record so well and they have already spelt the O the long vowel or or, um, two syllable word as it would have been in Scotland with just ah with an A and Mm. so I think that's what's happened there so I've been trying to write a bit on that and i Love the way that um, the names, with uh, with um, with the, the the personal name being Gilla and a saint's name, get anglicised in all sorts of different. Mm. ways. They lose the Mac, which is what they usually have, or they lose the Gilla, or the the rest gets um, sort of contracted. So I, I have long been trying to do a study, pulling all that together, but otherwise I think I'm mostly back to place names, so stuff on Tyrone and stuff on um, how they are used in early Irish storytelling. And I've also got to, when I've got to do all these things sometime into my own family history, which has nothing to do with any of these surnames, because they're all yeah. Scandinavian or Scottish <laughs> um, and Lowland Scots at that. So, yes, there seems to be seems to be always too much to do. But at least nobody is trying to keep me to a timetable anymore.
0: There's definitely always too much to do. But these sound like very worthwhile projects and I'll look forward to seeing them. Uh, I do want to thank you both for being on the New Books Network today. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, So take care, Liam and Kay. Us
1: too, yeah. And and you were. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to chat about it.
0: Yeah, indeed. Right.